Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. I got Chris here, your eyes not feeling great, so we're going to give him the night off. But we do have a very special guest. We have Nathan Beatley of Blue Man Hoop, a fan sighted. He's the site expert there. He's going to help us talk a little bit about Ben Simmons and Gold State Warriors tonight. Glad to have you on, Nathan. Yeah, thanks. Uh, really appreciate jumping on and uh, glad to talk Sixers, Sixers Warriors anytime. Yeah, yeah, we are super excited to have you on, Nathan. We've had a few um, site experts slash contributors from other sites on to talk about Ben. We've had Stevie Cousins from Rip City Project, uh, Damian Bartonic from Air Alamo. So we're, we're kind of going through the teams right now um, and looking at different potential landing spots for Ben because the trade does feel at least somewhat imminent if not before the season, probably early on in the season. Uh, the Warriors were one of the first teams that were kind of brought up um, when the Ben Simmons trade mill started turning. Uh, so, let, let, like, how are Warrior fans kind of embracing or thinking about the idea of a Simmons trade? Are they largely in favor of it? Is there some skepticism? What are they thinking right now? I think there's a little bit of a, like, there's a couple sides of this. So. A lot of the fans see what happened in the playoffs, and they don't like that. They don't like the fit. I mean, and it's kind of understandable. So, obviously, you have Stephen Curry leading the way, greatest three-point shooter of all time. Great, but if you can throw doubles at him every time. or So, with one of the most mysterious whole things, and not just, not just Warriors basketball, but the NBA has been just that Draymond Green just can no longer shoot. So with Green not being able to shoot, they'll probably play Wiseman. If you add Simmons, you're adding a third non-at least three-point shooter. So I think in Golden State, at least people are mostly probably skeptical of kind of what a fit would look like, what potential lineups might look like, how you involve Green and Simmons together. Can they work together? Do Do you have to play small ball lineups when they're together? Do you have to put... Uh, Juan Toscano in. Um, so I think on top of that, I think there's a lot of skepticism also around what we'd have to give up. I mean, I'm sure as you guys have talked about with the the Portland fella, it's just the the request, like the value that they're putting on Simmons right now just feels astronomical. So I think not only does the fit matter, but like the value that fans would want for Simmons. I think there's not a single Warriors fan that would say, 
no, we won't take Simmons for Wiseman and Wiggins. But, you know, you're, you're never going to get that. So it's kind of twofold. But, yeah, I feel like that's how it's being viewed in Golden State is at what price and then on top of that, after you can get by the price, can you get to how the fit works? Because the fit would work. I mean, Simmons is skilled enough as a player. The fit's going to work. Just, uh, just how does it work and what do they have to pay to give him up? Yeah, you bring up some good points there. And I, and I totally understand the skepticism. I mean, the fit of Draymond and Ben would be very hard, if not near impossible. But you do have two of the top five shooters of all time. So if you're going to have two non-shooters on the floor, what better teammates to have with them than the two best to help kind of offset that? And the, the other thing that I want to think about here, and I don't know if Warrior fans have even entertained the idea, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but if you get Ben, you could either play him or Draymond at the center. I, I don't, Ben is six foot ten, so it's not like he's short, though defending centers is not his best, you know, skill. But I will say this the other option is to do a three-team trade and trade Draymond to another team and have Ben fill in that role. Draymond's starting to get a little bit long in the tooth, and Ben does a lot of the same intangibles that Draymond does. So I guess my question is, has have the fan base entertained that idea? I just think half the fan base, I think it's so much about what they've built up there as well. Like if you look at Clay, even after he tore his ACL, they knew he was going to be out the whole year. He got that extension for Curry. They made him the first player to get two two hundred million dollar deals. I think they're about loyalty. And while yes, Draymond Green is definitely at an older is he's definitely further along in his career. I just don't think that that would be something that most fans would be on board of instantly. Although I mean, there are times. I mean, I'm sure some fans think Draymond was who ran. Durant out of Golden State, so I'm sure some wouldn't mind, but at the end of the day, I just think what they've built up is about loyalty, and that would kind of go back on some of that in a, in a sense. I mean, honestly, for me, I Draymond is still really good, too. Like, I know that he's old, and he's getting older, and the shooting is a problem, uh, but, like, he finished third in defensive player of the year voting because he deserved to finish third. He's still... he. Averaged a career high, like nine assists per game. Like he's still contributing in a lot of ways for that team. The chemistry he has with Steph and with Clay, who's going to come back at some point this season. Like, I, I think there's something to that. I don't know if that's something I would really be wanting to break up if I was Golden State. And obviously, the loyalty thing is huge, too. Draymond helped build that city, basically a dynasty for the past five, six years now. And I, I just don't see them getting rid of him for Ben. But, I mean, obviously I'm a, in the Sixers sphere, so I can't really speak for Warrior fans. Um, but it, it seems to me like Golden State should be probably one of the teams trying hardest to get Ben, in my opinion. I know the fit with Draymond isn't perfect, but like Lucas said, the window for Steph, Clay, and Draymond is closing somewhat quickly. They're, they are all well over 30 at this point. So if you have a chance to get another All-Star, on what should be somewhat of a discount. If it is Wiggins, Wiseman, and some picks, that's not really a lot to give yourself a, a much better chance at winning the championship next season. So I, I, I would be pretty significantly in favor of it if I was a Warrior fan. Uh, but, but, I mean, that's just me. <laughs> um, 
But for you, Nathan, let's talk about what Golden State would be willing to give up. Again, you mentioned both Wiseman and Wiggins. Those have been the two names most commonly thrown around. We've heard, you know, Jonathan Kuminga and Moses Moody, who were the Warriors' two lottery picks in August's NBA draft. What do you think Golden State would be willing to give up to acquire Ben Simmons? Well, for one, I definitely think they'd be willing to give up at least Wiseman, for sure. He, um, I mean, they were 10 points per game worse with him on the court than off. He just averaging 3.1 fouls per game. And it's not that he can't come around. I, I'm a big proponent of even players like Dennis Smith Jr. right now. Sometimes you can't really judge a 20-year-old. Like, Dennis Smith Jr. is only, like, what, like 24, 25. I think it just sometimes it takes players time to figure out who they are in the league, how they're going to be productive. So with Wiseman, I think you've seen enough to where you can say he probably won't be like the second coming of Chris Bosh or someone that'll have a super fluid jump shot. So I think Wiseman would definitely be in there. Um, Wiseman, Wiggins, I think two or three firsts, and then probably Moody. I think the player they really want to avoid giving up is Kaminga. I mean, you saw what Kaminga was capable of in the summer league. He still shot extremely inefficiently. But, I mean, he threw down hammer dunks on three or four people, and he was just ultra-athletic. So, I think if you're looking at it from a Golden State perspective, you want to keep your big three in Kaminga, and honestly, everything else could be on the board. Hey, guys. Ever been trimming downstairs and cut yourself? Not a good feeling at all. The question is, how can you prevent pain and discomfort while grooming yourself? Well, I'm here to remind you about Manscaped. With their Lawn Mower 4.0 trimmer, it features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawn Mower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight that you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave. And it's even waterproof so that you can trim in the shower. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and handle your trimming needs in a convenient and safe way by going to manscaped.com. Go to manscaped.com right now for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. And now, back to the podcast. So you you bring up some good points there, Nathan, and I want to touch on a few here. First, you bring up Kaminga's the player that the Warriors would prefer the game to keep. Personally, I think the deal has to start with Kaminga. It can't start with Andrew Wiggins. He's a you know at best a two way you know third or fourth option on a good team, but not probably fourth option to be honest. And you know, and I mean Wiseman, he's a center. Sixers already have a franchise center, and they got a good backup this year in, in Andre Drummond. And let's be real, Drummond's going to play over Wiseman. So even if you trade Wiseman just to trade him to another team for you know bigger fish later, it doesn't. He won't get time to develop or show what he can do to that for that other team. So that doesn't make any sense. I think a deal has to start with Kaminga. And me personally, I would ask for me. I, I don't know if I was asked for Moses Moody. Um, I. I actually really like what i seen from jordan Poole. i, I would i definitely would would like him in a deal because he's a little bit more developed 
I mean, I think Moody probably has the higher ceiling, but maybe you can get both. Who knows? Um, and then, like you said, a lot of picks. I think that's uh, – you got to do at least – I mean, the Sixers asked for – I think if you do two first and two pick swaps, I think that that could, that could be a starting point for sure. Um, I don't know. Chris, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean – I, I think Golden State's tricky because they really don't they just don't have the best packages on the surface. It would have to be something based around young guys and picks that Philly can like confidently believe they will trade in the future for another star. Like I agree, at least one of Kuminga and Moody has to be in the package. Like like Wiggins and Wiseman, you have to include Wiggins because of salary. That's pretty much a given. Wiggins is not really like a positive asset at this point considering his contract i don't think wiseman is going to get you over the top especially with philly like like we're talking about ben simmons the playoffs happened his value was low but wiseman was not very good last season number two pick or not and wiggins is not that great either like like you just have to give up more if that's all golden state is willing to part with uh then a deal's not going to happen. Um, yeah, and don't don't get me wrong. I fully, fully am on your side. Like I understand that it, 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 like you said, it's almost the starting point is Kaminga. But for Golden mm-hmm. State, the starting point would be, in my opinion, it would almost have to be a three team trade. It's hey, can we give yep. can we give James Wiseman to Detroit, and can Detroit give Killian Hayes and uh, Jeremy Grant? Uh, yeah, Jeremy Grant or. I mean, almost like they give you guys Grant and Hayes and we give them Wiseman, Wiggins, and you each get a first. Something like that. So I understand there's no way that it just doesn't make sense for us to straight up trade Wiseman to you guys. But if the starting point's Kuminga, I'm not sure. I feel like Golden State is is in a part of like who they are that they could use Kuminga. They, they don't want that, like what you guys went through with the process. That's not something Golden State necessarily wants. So they want to develop Kaminga. And I think just he's kind of like who they're like resting their hope for the future on. So I just don't know if he would be available is kind of my thought mm-hmm. process. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think Kuminga is like a significantly more valuable prospect than Wiseman at this point. Um, if you're Golden State, you definitely want to keep him. If you're feeling you probably want the guy with some potential to play on the perimeter. Um, yeah, I, my my question for you is, and I don't mean to cut you off, is that do you think that Kaminka has all-star potential? Because, I mean, a lot of people had him, and I know Chris did, have him as the most upside of anybody in this draft in per- terms of pure talent and pure upside. I mean, I definitely think he has all-star potential. I mean, you can't really necessarily look at a rookie and say that could be the next Kevin Durant or that could be the next Bradley Beal, but he has a lot of the things that you like. Sure, his jumper isn't there. He had a lot of downsides going into the draft, but it's a risk. It's a cal- And teams that would want to acquire him are going to take a calculated risk that he's going to be a star. Well, with Wiseman, Wiseman may have a much higher floor. He may always be a mediocre rim protector but he's never gonna have he may not let me say not never he may not have that like ultimate superstar upside that Kaminga given just his pure athleticism could have yeah I I mean I Kevin O'Connor who I listen to and read and respect a lot 
Sid, the entire pre-draft process was like, Kuminga should be watching Jalen Brown film. And I, I do think that's a pretty good comp. I, I like the idea of a three-team trade. It seems like for a lot of the teams that want in, you know, Cleveland, Minnesota, a three-team trade might make a lot more sense than one that is just a straight-up swap of players. Um, so that might be the direction we're just heading in general. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think Philly should want Kuminga. Um, even if he's not going to contribute right away, he has the skill set to, to be a really good player for a long time and to fill a need on the team at some point down the line. And he's probably the guy other teams with superstars who are looking to trade those superstars and rebuild would want the most. So that's probably his best attribute if you're Philly. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with uh, what you guys are saying. I think if Wiseman somehow finds his way to Philly, I I just I don't see that necessarily happening. I think it starts with Kaminga, like you said. If it's not Kaminga, I don't think a deal gets done. Um, those three team trades are pretty complicated and you got to figure out who Detroit or who, I don't know, Memphis would necessarily want. So for now, I would say, I think we're on agreement. If, if it doesn't start with Kaminga, it's not happening. They'll be able to go get a better trade from Philly or from Portland if they want CJ McCollum or something along those lines. So, yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about the fit though. We, he mentioned how the roster might not be constructed in the most ideal way for Ben, particularly with Draymond. But let's talk a bit about Steve Kerr, who is, broadly speaking, one of the more creative and inventive offensive coaches in the league. How do you think Ben would fit into his system? I know he's had problems in Philly, um, maybe not embracing an off-ball role to the degree that he should, being somewhat hard-headed about wanting to be a quote-unquote point guard. Obviously, in Golden State with Steve Kerr, with Steph and Draymond, he's not going to be able to play the role where he's just bringing the ball up the floor every time and running the offense. So what are your thoughts about the fit there? Do you think Steve Kerr would be able to utilize him in more creative ways than, say, Doc Rivers? But what are your thoughts there? Yeah, and I think that's kind of what they got wrong with Kelly Oubre Jr. from the start of the season is Oubre Jr., He's more of a slasher. He's more of a defender. He's more of a driver. He's not necessarily a 3 and D player. And that's something they have to learn from. They have to learn that, or they have to understand that Simmons is going to do that. And he's, I mean, Ubre Jr. wasn't necessarily a great fit for that role either. So if that's the role, you might as well not even consider Simmons. But if you believe that he could be that third star, then you're going to get him and you're, you're just going to make it work. Sure, Draymond Green's going to be up the ball, but part of what makes Golden State so elusive and so dynamic and so able to rebuild and retool is that Curry is able to just not be the superstar that a scoring leader could be. Curry was hoisting up 10 or 11 threes a game, but they were coming off back screens, elevator screen, what whatever type of screen you want. They were coming off screens, and Draymond Green was feeding him, which is why the Warriors were number one in assists per game. Because it was more about Curry being willing to mold his game and being willing to come off screens and not necessarily be that point guard. So I think in that sense, you can see that maybe Simmons could flourish in a role when Green's off the court. Now, I think it's really it's really tough because if you play the small ball units, then you can play, you can just mismatch Simmons. You can figure out where the mismatches are and you can kind of play those. But until you have that, you may not have the rebounding you need. There would just be a lot of pieces to work out, and I really think finding the fit within the rosters and the lineups that they play would be just a major construction project for them. 
You bring up some good points there, Nathan. And I just want to touch on a few real quick. In terms of his fit, it's not about fit. It's about buying for Ben Simmons. It's always been about buying. And what Steve Kerr has to do is get Ben Simmons to buy into the fact that he's going to have to be the quote-unquote center of this offense, like with Andrew Bogut, Kayvon Looney, uh, even James Wiseman. You, he has to be willing to set screens. And Ben has done a little bit of that in the past, but he he's going to have to play that on a bigger role. And, yes, he will be used to orchestrate sometimes, you know, versus Draymond Green and Steph Curry. But think about it. A pick and roll with Ben Simmons and Seth Curry. Seth Curry is one of the best uh, coming off the pick and rolls. If I'm if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, though, but I think a pick and roll with him and Steph could be very dangerous because Ben's an elite athlete. He can finish at the rim very high. And the other thing is he's going to have to learn. I mean, he's already doing it in Philly to an extent, but he's going to have free range with no Embiid. He's going to be the lone big man coming in and crashing those offensive boards. And I'm not worried about the rebounding because Ben averages, what, about eight to nine rebounds a game per season? You know, somewhere around there. Draymond's about seven, you know, rebound averages, what, seven rebounds per game? So it's really just Clay's going to have to pick up the slack, but Clay's a really good rebounder for his size. Curry's not going to rebound. That's okay. Wiggins is an okay rebounder. Not great, but what, four per game? That's not terrible. I'm not too worried about the gang rebounding there. If, you know, Ben or Draymond gets the rebound, you got Clay and Steph and Wiggins. Well, probably not Wiggins, but okay. So whoever you, you have as your small forward, you know, bust out into transition, they can throw, you know, line football passes to them across half court and they, you know, get open threes. So I'm not really worried about it. And to be fair, the Golden State Warriors have never been a great rebounding team anyway. So you go small ball, you just deal with it, and you know you you make punish them in transition, which Ben is a very good transition um, uh, player. So that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, look, I mean, we the flip side of the uh, the coin as far as Ben maybe needing to adjust to being off the ball more is that Steph and Clay can do more without the basketball than pretty much any other two stars in the NBA. Obviously, we don't know what Clay's going to look like coming back from two significant knee injuries, but we know what Steph's going to look like. Steph is one of the three, four, five best players on the planet still. There's just, he is probably the, he can fit with anyone. Like, like Steph is the most malleable offensive superstar in a generation ever like like he's that kind of guy so i i think there are ways to make it work i think the ben draymond fit is easily the primary concern like i don't i don't think you're concerned about who's dominating the ball quote unquote between ben and steph i i think they figure it out i think steph is more than happy to give ben some some leeway and some room to to handle the ball if he really wants to i'm sure steve is too like like they'll figure it out so and I agree, Lucas, about the small ball stuff. Like, Brooklyn's running out Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant in the front court in the playoffs. Like, there, there are ways around, uh, you know, rebounding issues. And if the offense is good enough, and if the defensive versatility is good enough, which with Draymond, Ben, Clay, Otto Porter, whoever else is in the starting five, it, it will be. Um, I, I think you're in a pretty good spot. But again, it's... Will Golden State give up Kaminga? 
I mean, before you even kind of contemplate all that, obviously Ben's a superstar, three-time All-Star, one of the best defense players in the league. You do what you can to get him, but I think that's where it boils down to previously. It's all about is the main thing is the value there is how how much does every party value Kaminga or so just always got to remember that it it all starts them and if Golden State's not willing to do that then it's kind of as we all kind of thought just off the off the books from there fair points fair points guys so but let's go ahead and switch gears now we're going to talk a little bit about the Golden State and Philadelphia connections So first, I want to talk about Joel Embiid and Steph Curry. Nate, both are under have Under Armour deals and are friendly with each other. How lethal of a duo would they be if they ever got the chance to play together? And do you think there is a chance that that could ever happen? I mean, unless you guys want to give up Embiid or Curry's going to play with Philadelphia when he's let's see, thirty eight. Because when or if Curry ever starts to deteriorate in any form of the way. That value of that contract, kind of as we noted with Wiggins earlier, is going to decline. I mean, even if you're one of the best years of all time, if you're not, if you're not as athletic or as crafty as you once were, um, I'm not sure anyone would trade for you. But so I don't think the probability is very high that they do play together. Although, let's be honest, it feels like it would be a match made in heaven, partially because you have Joel Embiid, you put him on the block, you can't double down. You put Danny Green and Stephen Curry on the wings or Stephen Curry and we'll just say we get Joel Embiid to put Stephen Clay out there even if they're 40 years old you still can't even you can't even do that it's the um, the spacing it would be is kind of unfathomable the that pick and roll would be maybe the most lethal of all time I mean it would just be an insane amount of talent fill it with minimum value players and they're still coming out with 65 wins all right, that might have been a bit high, 60. Yeah, no, I mean, on paper, it's it's about as perfect a fit as you can imagine for Joel. You know, you can say that about just about every star. Like, who's the best star to pair with player A? It's Steph. Like, LeBron, it's Steph. Giannis, it's Steph. Jokic, it's Steph. Um, so that that's just the kind of player Curry is. Again, one of the most malleable offensive players of all time, a guy who can compliment just about everyone with his spacing and his movement and his basketball IQ. Um, I agree, though. Like, Curry is now locked up for another five or six years. He's going to finish his career in Oakland. I would be absolutely shocked if he doesn't. Um, I, I can't imagine by the time he's 38 that he's going to be, like, looking for a one-year deal with whoever the hot team is at the time to try to win another chip. Maybe, Maybe that's the case, but Unless that's Philly, which odds are it's not. I, I just don't see it happening. Uh, Joel also locked up long-term in Philly, so I, I just don't think the timelines are going to overlap there. But on paper, it's super fun to think about. I know Uriah probably probably upset that he can't participate in this conversation because I know it's something he's he's thought a lot about in the past. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's about as perfect as you can get as far as two stars together go. Yeah, you brought up Uriah, and Chris, he, he, not only would he be excited, he'd be ecstatic, and we know, I know for a fact he put this in there, because remember, Chris, a few months ago, before Steph signed that extension, um, he wrote an article about why Steph should come to the Sixers, so, uh, yeah, obviously, he, Steph Curry is one of the best 
players to par with, uh, pair with another superstar. There's no doubt about that. Unless Curry's, you know, playing until he's 40, which, I mean, his game could translate to that point. And then Joel's probably going to be past his prime by the end of th- this next contract extensions through. So maybe Joel joins them, you know, try to win a wing- ring together. It just seems unlikely that they'll play together when they're in their prime. Maybe after the so, but it doesn't seem likely. Um, well, let me ask you this, though, Nathan. Um, so, you know, we ha- you guys have Steph Curry. We have Seth Curry. And they're two of the top shooters in the entire league. There's no doubt about that. Seth has the has a higher career shooting percentage, though, between the two of them. Excluding long-range bombs, who would you take? Yeah, I feel like this is a trap question. You're, uh, you guys are only looking for one answer, and for you guys, that would be uh, Seth. But, yeah, the three-point percentage is something. I think at the same time, you have to factor in the difficulty of those. I'm not saying Seth's were easy, but Steph was doing some ridiculous things last year. I mean, he, I think if I was right, if that were an 82-game season, he could have had the most because he had a higher average than his record-breaking season. Um, at the same time, you kind of also have to consider the volume. The Golden State Warriors need Steph to do everything, and Steph's a better playmaker in general. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still riding with Steph, but did, did you really expect anything better on that one? Yeah, no, it's Steph. Um, I mean, I love Steph. He's he's a great player, great guy to have on your team. Um, and he's he, very electric, very fun to watch. Yeah, and he certainly proved himself this year. He averaged twenty one a game on sixty percent from three in the Hawks series. Obviously, that didn't go the way Philly wanted it to, but it wasn't for a lack of trying on Seth's part. But that said. Steph is Steph. There's really not much more to say about it. I agree with the percentage thing. Um, if Curry was taking the same exact shots that Seth is taking, he'd probably be shooting like 50% from three. So it, it's just the nature of the those two players and the roles that they are playing in. Um, but yeah, I'm putting my money on Steph. Not to say that Seth, if it's like a standard three-point contest or whatever with you know 30 available points they go around the racks like could Seth beat him every now and then sure but I, I'd put my money on Steph just because a he's he's won one before or two I think and, and b because he's Steph Curry the, of course the answer is Steph Curry and I feel like this is more of a Uriah trap question for us but um to go off of Seth here for a minute I've been you know I've been advocating for Seth to turn up his volume more i think he could be a 20 point per game scorer if he wanted to be that being said yes in terms of corner threes or you know standstill threes they're probably close to the same on that caliber but it's the off the ball movement and you know ability to shoot off the dribble at a high rate that separates steph from uh, seth in that regard um like chris said yeah seth could beat steph every once in a while probably in a three-point contest but the Steph Curry, in the words of Stephen A. Smith, is the best shooter that God's ever given to this planet. So it, it's it's no it's no contest. But I mean, that being said, Seth could squeak out a win every once in a while. But I think the difference between them is Steph is more of a complete shooter because he can do literally everything as a shooter: shoot off the dribble, shoot off of screens, shoot off the movement, shoot uh, you know with a lot, you know, highly contested shots. 
create his own space. Seth is more of a standstill shooter. Maybe he can shoot a little bit off of movement, but not at the rate that Seth can. And that's that's the difference. That being said, I would like to see Seth, you know, have a career high in attempts this year. Calling you out, Seth. I agree. Seth should shoot more. But let, let's take a bit of a stroll down memory lane here. We're going to talk about a player who has pretty strong connections to both Philadelphia and Oakland slash San Francisco. Um, that's, of course, Andre Iguodala, who started his career in Philadelphia, spent several seasons here, led a couple playoff runs, and then kind of left on a bit of a sour note, had a rocky relationship with the fan base, and went to Golden State, where he won a couple championships, was finals MVP during that first Golden State run in 2015. Yeah, so Nathan... What do you think changed between Philly and Golden State that made him so beloved there? Other, obviously, winning is a big part of it, but there's is there something beyond that that made Iguodala such a fan favorite there? I think at least some of it is kind of the fit that he was when he came in. The Warriors really needed that blue guy, that make everything happen guy. They had Steph. Steph was evolving. They had Clay. Clay was getting better as well. But when you add Iguodala to the lineup and he's averaging four assists per game, four rebounds per game, a steal per game, he was just the perfect fit in their system doing what he did best. And that was defend, be able to do a little bit of everything else. And I think the other thing was expectations were low. He was coming off a season in or Denver where he didn't really do as much as people were thinking. His time in Philadelphia, he was a star. He was averaging 17, 18, 19 points a game. And that just wasn't so that that wasn't what Golden State needed him to be. So when he left Philly, I feel like he left those expectations. And probably I'm not really sure how those early thousand years were for Philly, but I assume they weren't like the greatest seasons. So he probably also left like a lot of like broken expectations that maybe Philly thought that he could have been better, whereas Golden State was just truly happy with what they got from him because they already had a couple of the best players. So I kind of, I mean, I can understand where the distaste from each fan base comes from. You bring up good points, and I think it is expectations. Because, And I, I, I don't want to, like, I, I want to make this clear. Andre Iguodala never wanted to be a scorer. That's not who he is. He's the type of guy that likes to do all the little things. He he emulated Scottie Pippen, as I'm sure you probably heard him say multiple times he's not really he doesn't want to be a go-to score he had to be for philly and that was the problem because he was the face of the franchise after Allen iverson left um and by the time he got to golden state he was what like 29 30 so he was near the end of his prime in terms of scoring but that was okay like you said that wasn't what they needed him to do and he really embraced that sixth man role where he really thrived and i i thought that was the perfect type of role for him at first, I was like, why would you not start Iggy over Harrison Barnes? But then I was like, oh, Iggy's the guy that helps make that second unit work with Sean Livingston. Uh, I think Barbosa was in there. Um, I think David West. Like those type of guys. Yeah, that made sense. It, it works for that group. So, And now he's back for probably his farewell tour. I honestly thought he was going to retire, but I guess they convinced him to come back. Which is good for him, though. That's good for him. And I think what I think he was that, you know, there was Draymond who was the gritty player, but then he was the more 
not approachable, but more lovable, gritty player between him and Gray- Draymond. Because let's be real, Draymond can be abrasive at times. So I think that was another factor there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm probably going to oversimplify things just because I was not around for the early 2006ers. But when you're sort of bridging the gap to the future after someone like Iverson kind of had control of the city for a, a decade, it's going to come with some expectations. It's going to be hard to fill those shoes. Um, as we said, Iguodala probably wasn't built to be the lead scorer or the go-to star on the team. I don't think that was how he was best utilized. Obviously, in Golden State, he found just about the perfect role and perfect fit for him. Um, we're going to talk now about that finals MVP that he won. Um, so clearly, he performed well in that role. But let, let's talk about that finals MVP. There's a bit of controversy around it because... He's clearly not the best player on that team. And even though he did a great, absolutely fantastic job guarding LeBron in that series, it's not like he held LeBron to 15 points a night. Um, So, Nathan, do you think in hindsight that Iggy really deserved that finals MVP over Steph? Or is that more a prisoner of the moment thing where we're watching every night and saying, wow, look how great Iggy's doing on defense like, like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that was, do you think there's an asterisk next to it? What, what are your thoughts? I mean, the whole asterisk conversation, wow. That goes, uh, everything can have an asterisk by it, I'm going to say. Um, I don't, I think there is one in the sense of, did Steph deserve it? I mean, if if you don't have Iggy, you could still win. If you don't have Steph, you might not make the playoffs. I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what should have been looked at. I mean, if you go back, I think with how judging's done now, if you go back, they're going to give it to Steph. He averaged 26, 6, and 5, 6 assists. Um, that's just nothing Iguodala did. Iguodala guarded LeBron. He did, he did a good job at that. I mean, they were short. That was a series. They were short. Kyrie. Um, I mean, I'm not even sure if they win if it's a fully healthy Cavs team. I will say if it's a fully healthy Cavs team, they're going to need more from Steph, which would mean that he would probably get that MVP then. And because Iguodala probably couldn't step up much more. But yeah, I think there's an asterisk. I think everyone in the Bay Area kind of thought Steph deserved it. And it was just Iguodala played so well. He fulfilled that role, that exact role that we're talking about, that three and D, that three and make smart plays offensively. He did that and... At the end of the day, that's what got it to him. The value is there from the from the voters. You guys bring up some good points. And yeah, Chris, Iggy won it because he played defense on LeBron. But let's be clear. Neither one of them should have won it. It should have gone to LeBron. Just like how Jerry was won a finals MVP, even though he was on the losing team. LeBron was clearly, by far, the best player on the court. And yes, I know Golden State Warriors are going to hate me for this. I don't care. Because at the end of the day, Without LeBron, that team was worse because due to the injuries, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, I will say that team is worse than the team that LeBron dragged to the finals in 07. And the fact that he forced a game, what was it, game six against that Golden State team is beyond impressive. So I'm giving that finals MVP to LeBron because he deserved it after all that hard work. I I mean, I think you can say that. LeBron has generally been the best player on the floor whenever he's been on the floor. Um, 
for, for most of his career, I, I think that's a fair thing to say. If you're talking about just the winning team, if it has to go to a player in the winning team, I agree, Nathan, that in hindsight, Seth probably would win if we were re-voting now. He probably should have won just because he's, again, Seth, we sort of talked about it, can do that thing where he blends into the background and still has like an elite, elite, elite impact on the game. Uh, without seeming like the focal point when he really is. And maybe that that has kind of hurt him in situations like this. Uh, It certainly, I think, kind of kept him out of the conversations when KD was on that team. I'm not saying Durant didn't deserve those finals MVPs. He's Kevin Durant. But Curry can have an impact on the game without, you know, doing the things that LeBron or Giannis or other guys like that have to do where they're just pounding the ball every time down the floor and they're the one making the plays with the ball in hand because Curry makes a lot of plays without ever touching basketball. That's just the nature of him as a player. Uh, I, I do think it's an interesting conversation. I'm not a big, like, asterisk guy. I, I don't care. I, Iggy was great in that series. I, I don't think he's, quote-unquote, undeserving. But like you said, Steph, not on that team. They probably don't make the playoffs. If Iggy's not on that team, they can still win the series. Um, there are other guys who can at least pretend to guard LeBron. Probably not half as well as, as Iggy did, but there there are other avenues to try to slow down LeBron James. There aren't really any other avenues to re- replicate what Steph Curry does on offense. Um, I, I think it's pretty much that simple. But yeah, that, that's where I am on the issue. So let's go ahead and switch gears now, guys. We're going to talk about the more controversial, you know, past and recent controversies surrounding the Golden State Warriors. And uh, we're we're going to have to, of course, talk about Kevin Durant. And let me ask you this, Nathan. Why didn't the Kevin Durant issue ever get resolved in Golden State where he could have stayed? So I think I still to this day am not sure everyone perfectly knows how the dynamic of the situation went now i forget what platform it was i think bleacher report hosted it or something but durant sat down with green and they talked a lot about that game the first that last that last season how that clippers game kind of changed everything and it almost seemed that durant was already unhappy at that point and then that kind of turned the management on draymond and draymond just need to figure it out with Durant, they needed to just hash that out together instead of management trying to say, oh, Durant's our guy, Draymond, you have to be suspended. Um, I think the handling of that situation, whether that it's exactly how they said it was or not, I think that might have ultimately be how it happened or when the relationship started falling apart. And then Durant just wanted the three-peat. He would have stayed. I mean, he may have stayed for the four-peat, but he stayed for the three-peat or for the almost three-peat. And then... uh. And then he left. It surprised no one. I think probably maybe his deterioration with Golden State with the management might have been kind of what has made it linger. But yeah, I mean, it was good while it lasted, but it was clearly coming to an end. I I, I really don't have a ton more to add to that. Um, obviously, you, Nathan, probably covered it much more closely than I have or ever did. But clearly there were problems with Durant and Draymond that weren't handled well both between them and you know in the organization as a whole um it seems like now at this point in their lives they're 
mostly over it. Seems like they're good friends again. But uh, clearly things got a little bit awkward there. Durant has not always been absolute best friends with teammates that he has left in the past, if you ask Russell Westbrook. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, I mean, clearly Durant just wanted to go to New York. I think that was part of it, too. He was ready to move on just in general. And New York seemed like an interesting place for him. So I, I think that's part of it. Adding a different chapter to his career, winning with a good friend in Kyrie Irving, who he has a great relationship with. Now James Harden's there. Like, I, I think there are a lot of factors that, that go into it. I don't think it was just like Durant and Draymond had a fight and now he's going to leave. But, um, you know, you could say, well, if they had won that third championship, does he stay then? I don't know. We'll probably never know because they didn't win it. But it, it's an interesting thought exercise. And Durant is a fascinating human and player. And one of the greatest talents of our lifetime. But it just kind of is what it is for me. Um, you know, he's in Brooklyn now. Golden State still could very well build a contender in the next year or two and potentially challenge Brooklyn in, in the finals one day. I think that's on the table. So we'll see how that goes. You guys make some good points. And I, I, I think if I correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, but I thought I heard in that interview with Draymond that Grant said that like, the idea was never to really stay in Golden State forever. It was kind of more of a pit stop learning experience, learn how to win, kind of like what LeBron did with the Heat. You know, you you go learn how to win, and then you do it on your own. And I, I think that even if it wasn't said out loud, it definitely seemed like something that was in his mindset. You know, he he wanted to go play with those guys, and he talked about – personal growth of his game, being able to play off other great players, like other great shooters and develop his game. And he thought Golden State gave him a good chance to do that. And then when he felt like he's learned, he learned everything he could from Golden State, then he was ready to move on. And by year three, it seemed like that was the case. So, Yeah, no, I mean, that's basically right, too. I don't think the plan was ever to stay for four or five, six years. I think everyone, I mean, I don't think this is how it was viewed when, Durant was here, but I think everyone knew deep down it was Curry's team. Curry was the wonder boy for them, and it's just Durant was never meant to be that superstar icon for the Warriors that Curry was. And I think at the end of the day, like you said, he came, he did a LeBron in Miami, and then he left. And there's no hard feelings either way, I don't think, for most of the fans. I mean, time heals everything, and Durant was out a year. And I mean, I don't think they see him as a villain. I don't think everyone... Besides just innately not wanting a super loaded team to win, I don't think Warrior fans are innately rooting against the Nets that badly. Yeah, I mean, he did help them win two championships. I feel like it's pretty hard to hate a guy after that. I I agree with the Miami-LeBron comparison. I think that's a good one. Obviously, LeBron had a pretty special connection with Cleveland that Durant doesn't really have with New York. But, you know, business interests are a real thing in the NBA nowadays. Um, Durant's pretty involved on the business side of things outside of the league. Uh, New York's a good spot for that. So clearly there are just interests outside of San Francisco that he wanted to pursue. So that's all I have to say about it. Well, Chris, I think that pretty much wraps up our podcast for this week. you want to go ahead and play us out? Yeah. Um, Nathan? Thanks again, man, for for coming on the show. 
Um, obviously, everyone should go read his stuff at bluemanhoop.com. That is the Warriors site for the fan side of network. They do a lot of great work over there. Uh, Nathan, if you want to let our followers know where they can follow you um, on social media and such, uh, now's the time. Yeah, so you guys can find me on Twitter at Nathan, B-E-I-G-H-L-E underscore. I do some sports betting. I do a lot of Warriors stuff. It'll be a looking like a really good season for both franchises coming up. So, yeah, hop over there if you have any interest. But, uh, yeah, guys, thanks for uh, having me on, and I wish the best for you guys and the Sixers. Thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, we'd love to have you back on again in the future if there's, you know, any of cause to have you on obviously golden state is one of the more interesting teams in the nba at least in my opinion um, you know any team with steph has a pretty high level of intrigue in, in my book um, we will obviously be monitoring the bin situation i i think golden state is a bit of a dark horse you know we've seen the reports that oh they're not sure about the fit with draymond etc cetera, etc cetera. but when push comes to shove and the bidding war starts however much of a bidding word ends up being. I think there's a lot of reason for Golden State to throw their hat in the ring. They're trying to win a championship now. Ben is an all-star who is going to come cheaper than he probably should. So I, I think they're a team to watch personally. Um, and we really do just appreciate you coming on the show. And as always, to all our listeners, thank you again for tuning in to yet another episode of the Six or Sense podcast. You can like, subscribe, leave a comment, a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help us out. And you can follow us on Twitter at Sixersense or read and listen to the podcast on our website, thesixersense.com. We have a lot of great stuff going up on that site as well every day, and we would really appreciate you checking it out. And until later in the week, have a good one. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.